good friends. I'm glad to be spending some time with you. I'm Raven. You're listening to Unstruggling, a podcast where we support you with strategies for mental wellness for everyday people and bring some positivity to your day. Oh, 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 family drama. That is what I want to talk to you about today. I'm a little bit off the cuff. I do not have a script, only bullet points. So you get the most authentic thoughts on this subject matter. And I have been through a wide range of family dramas. I'm not going to say all kinds, but as I've said on the podcast, I grew up dealing with a lot of dysfunction and then... Naturally, I dealt with it in my adulthood. So let's get into how to deal with family drama. There's so many different ways to do this. The best way, I don't know if that's a real thing, but there's ways that are going to be different depending on your family dynamic, the personality that you have, the personalities you're dealing with, whether you are a child or an adult, and even whether you depend on your family in some way, whether that's financially, for childcare, transportation. I think of my fellow disabled people out there who are so severely disabled that they need their family members to take care of them. All of these situations sometimes lead people to make choices that if they didn't have to rely on certain folks, they would not have anything to do with these people. And that sucks because that means some of us are dealing with people that are taking advantage of us or treating us as though our opinions and boundaries don't matter simply because they can, because we don't have any other choice. And that is disgusting. I have some thoughts on that I will get to in this episode. The first approach I think is important for dealing with any type of drama, but we're going to focus on family drama today, is setting behavioral standards for yourself. This is before drama ever starts. Or maybe you have some responses and reflections on drama that you've experienced, like I have, and you realize you need to set standards for the behavior that you are going to bring to an interaction. The behavior that once you witness it in yourself, once you notice yourself displaying this behavior, you know, okay, we got to stop. We have to change something about the situation. I set behavioral standards for myself, one, because growing up with dysfunction or just dealing with dysfunction for an extended period of time, whether it's in adulthood or childhood, whatever, there is an established behavior pattern that develops in a relationship within yourself, within a whole household. (laughs) In order to change that behavior pattern, sometimes that means one person needs to change. Sometimes that means everybody needs to change. It just depends, obviously. There's a lot of variables, so I'll stop saying it depends. You get it. I don't think changing your behavior specifically means that you have so much power that that changes the way everybody else behaves. But sometimes it does get people to pause. It changes the behavior pattern and the feedback loop and habits because you changed yours and now you've done something that gets other people to think about their own behavior. Because instead of responding by making statements, you start asking questions or vice versa. Some of the behavioral standards I have for myself are based on things I heard as a kid, like no name calling. My dad always said that to us as kids. It took me a long time (laughs) 
to actually remove that from the way I communicate when I'm in a conversation with a person who is upsetting me. But that is a choice I made because it's very unproductive. It might feel good in the moment, but it is not helpful. That's the thing I try to keep in mind for my own behavior whenever I'm in the middle of drama. Okay, what is helpful right now? What is not helpful? And thinking about what I feel like doing. Because sometimes that's all it takes is instead of just yelling, I would think to myself, I want to scream. I want to scream. Not going to do it. I think that's okay and healthy to think that and not do it. Some of my behavioral standards are no name calling, no shouting, no threats of violence, and avoid saying things I don't mean. And I think that these are reasonable and healthy, not only to expect of myself, but also to expect from other people. I feel like this is bare minimum stuff. For everybody, it's not. I get that there are a lot of people who say stuff in the moment when they are heated that they don't mean. Try really hard to avoid saying things you don't mean. Because you can't take that back. You can almost always come back to a conversation, a person, a situation, and say, you know, at the time that we were having a discussion about this, I meant to say, I wanted to say, or because of this interaction we had, I think it'd be helpful for you to know going forward. You can typically come back and say the things that you meant to say. And it's a lot easier to do that than take back things that you do not mean to say. Another approach is to talk to people at the right time. Timing is very important. And this is a struggle for a lot of people because a lot of times when things happen, we feel like the best time to address them is in the moment, the moment we notice it. I think that is usually the case. However, I think it's good to note when people are in their most receptive state of mind. When people first wake up in the morning, usually not the time to bring something to their attention that most likely will cause conflict or disagreement. Now, even though that's not ideal, sometimes that is just what has to happen. But to the extent that you can, I would say avoid circumstances where people's minds aren't clear People are caught up in their anger, circumstances like that. Also, it's okay to ask people, hey, when is it a good time to talk about X? Or is this a good time right now? And if they say no, a good follow-up is, okay, well, when? Because some things can wait, some things cannot. When you're actually having the conversation, I think it's very important to validate, even if you don't agree with someone's feelings. And that's really hard because a lot of people equivocate validation with agreement. And that is not true. I've talked about this on my episodes that I've done on validation and healthy conflict, maybe. You can express that somebody's emotions are valid, even though you don't agree with them. You can recognize that people feel a certain way without understanding why they feel that way. I see that this is making you upset. Your emotions about this situation are valid. I can tell that this is really hard for you. It's easy for us to perceive those emotions, even if we don't know why those emotions are coming up. Approach the conversation from a place where you lean into validating instead of having this immediate knee-jerk response where a person says something you don't agree with or they express a feeling and you don't get it. You feel the opposite. 
it's very easy for any of us to get more caught up in our emotions and reject other people's emotions when we are having heated moments. In addition to that, I think we should set clear conversational boundaries. As I mentioned in my first episode on boundaries, a lot of times we don't explicitly express our boundaries until they have been crossed. A lot of times a person won't say, do not shout at me until someone has already started shouting. And that's not wrong or bad. However, I wish this was the case before conversations turned into verbal altercations that off the top we could have a talk about, okay, listen, let's talk about this and can we please try really hard not to shout, not to name call, and not whatever. It would be ideal (laughs) to carry out conversations as if we were in a therapeutic setting sometimes. Now, that is not likely to happen. I think it's a practice that doesn't hurt anything. It doesn't guarantee that a person is not going to shout or not name call, but it's like the minute it starts happening, someone in the conversation can say, well, wait, we talked about not name calling instead of, you know, name calling was never taken off the table. So you could have a whole exchange with several people where one person starts and then other people start in and it's a mess. So while this is not the way we normally start disagreements or start conversations that we expect to lead to disagreement or conflict, it's important to express these boundaries, especially if you know you're interacting with people who have a history of behaving like this. If you know that a person starts getting loud and shouting and name calling and getting physical, maybe not even with people, but with furniture, I think this is when it's the most beneficial to say, let's talk about this and can we try not to do X behaviors? I recognize that that might lead a person into getting defensive. And that is when you just bring them back on track. Okay, these things have happened in the past, and I would like for us to have a conversation about this. If these things start happening, we need to pause the conversation and come back to it at a different time. That might not go over well with some people. I don't know how much you can help that. If you're not comfortable bringing these up off the top, the other alternative is when they start, if any of it starts. It's just really important to express these boundaries and make them non-negotiable. If that stuff starts, you can bring that to the person's attention and say, this is really hurtful to me, something along those lines. Because sometimes if you just say to a person, calm down or stop shouting, don't call me names. I think this is when it's useful to say, it's really hurtful to me when you call me these names. Can we go the rest of the conversation without that? Or it's really unsettling to me when you start walking around the room and shouting. Can we try to talk about this calmly? If you are interacting with people who you say this stuff to and they have negative responses to these requests, y'all need some third party help. (laughs) Sometimes there's a history of behavior where no matter how much you try to bring up a point of contention with a certain person or with certain people, they always respond this way. There's no way to get past this. And that is when it is time to stop interacting with some people. I'm going to say that. It can happen to a lot of us where we hear certain requests as criticism or we are so in our emotions that we are not able to 
listen to what a person is saying. So if a person is not listening to what you're saying, or they're responding to stuff you didn't say, or they're having a separate conversation in their head, this is the opportunity to pause. That leads me into my next approach, which is creating distance. You can create space when a conversation or interaction gets heated, when you notice it start happening. You can just say, you know what, I noticed that this is happening. Let's leave this conversation for the moment and come back to it set a time. Don't just say, let's just come back to it later. In 20 minutes, in a half hour, in an hour, I'm going to go for a walk and come back and let's talk about it. Something like that. I think it's good to be specific because if you let it go for too long, people don't have the chance to express what they want to say. People can start becoming resentful. People might never come back to the conversation and just leave it indefinitely until things are heated all over again. And then that's when conversations resurface, right? Unresolved problems will come up at the same time that new problems have because the conversation was never finished and the conflict was never resolved. So you're feeling those same emotions you felt last time coupled with the emotions you feel this time and everything comes out that's not healthy. Knowing when to withdraw or walk away from the situation is not just noticing other people's behaviors, but also your own. Hence why the first thing I brought up was setting behavioral standards for yourself. It is so important for us to notice when we are feeling a certain way and recognize, okay, I can't continue this conversation right now and express that to the other person and say, you know what, I need 20 minutes, something to that extent. In addition to knowing when to withdraw or walk away, I think people also need to know when to stay away. Very controversial. I don't think it's unreasonable to have standards for all of your relationships, including family relationships. And if you notice you cannot get past a certain point with certain people, if you notice that people will not communicate in a way that is civil when there is disagreement or conflict, you don't have to continue speaking to these people. I have brought up before that I have a sister that I don't speak to. And it's not because I hate my sister. And it's not because we could just never get along. My sister and I have a lot in common. My biggest issue is that we could not disagree in a civil manner. And I don't want to have a relationship where I can't bring up points of contention because I know it's going to turn out into this really ugly verbal altercation. I have this very strict standard. If we cannot disagree civilly, we can't have a relationship. Having an exit plan is an approach to dealing with family drama, especially if you live with people who are causing the drama, bringing the drama home, feeding the drama, living with insufferable people is not a choice most of us have to make. Usually there is a way out somehow, or usually there is a way through. Obviously, therapy is available. There are a lot of barriers to therapy for folks in different communities, but some people throw in the towel too quickly and don't look for therapy on a sliding scale where they don't have to pay the same rate that an insurance company would. It used to be the case that it was harder to get a therapist without doing in-office visits. And now, because of the pandemic, you can get therapists to do sessions over video and over the phone. 
and sometimes people throw in the towel because it is a struggle to find a therapist that you can afford and access in the first place. And then also you need that therapist to be a good mental health professional. And some people really struggle to find a therapist that works for them. I understand that. I just went through finding a therapist again. And it is difficult every time. I still want to encourage people to at least try because doing nothing about having to live in a situation where it is stressful every day, it's wearing away at you mentally, emotionally, physically, psychologically, is not worth it. And this is why some people feel like the only way out is to discontinue their existence. Reach out for help in some way. Obviously, there's the suicide prevention line. There's all sorts of crisis lines that people can call. Even if you can't get therapy, you can still call people and talk to them. There was a time in my life I had to do that where I did not have therapy. I called the suicide prevention line five days a week for two months or whatever it was. I know what it's like to be in that position and to feel stuck. I also recognize that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes that feeling of being cornered or having no way out is based in hopelessness and not based in what is factually, objectively attainable. You can also try within your family system, family dynamic, and have conversations about changing the relationship. Sometimes you look out and you have people that you can lead into being more self-aware. It's going to be hard when you're talking about changing people's behaviors. It's not unusual for people to take things very personally. I think a good way to approach the conversation is expressing that everybody needs to change in order for the dynamic to change. Earlier, I talked about people who would have a more difficult time getting out of their living situations or their family situation because they rely on their family in some way. My recommendation is... Easier said than done, and I realize that. I'm going to recommend it because I've lived this and I've had to do this. You do have to be very strategic and intentional about getting out, getting away, creating distance in order to not have to rely on these people or have to rely on people as much as you do or more than you would like. There are a lot of different ways to do this. Mine just so happened to be college the first time around and then the second time around I got a job, saved up enough money and then got the heck out of my parents' house. Some people don't have these options. Expanding your social circle is significant. The more people you interact with, the more you can find people who maybe they're a mom and you're a mom and this other mom can watch your children on the nights that you need, or you can swap watching each other's kids, or I'm a disabled person and I need rides to places. I can't drive because of the social circle I have. I have people who are willing to help me drive to different places, help me run errands, whatever the case is. And there's all sorts of ways to do this. My social network just so happens to be people I've met at work. For some people, they have to join clubs, join meetup groups, church groups, other religious groups, philosophical groups, exercise clubs, gyms, whatever. There's so many 
options out there. Sometimes you just have to pick up a hobby in order to expand your social circle, which that's going to be really hard to do when you're depressed and dealing with anxiety, especially if it's social anxiety. I do recognize that struggle. And that is where you do have to motivate yourself with the possibility of getting out of the situation that is causing you the most distress. These are very intentional choices that you have to make. Help is not going to fall out of the sky. We have to reach for it. We have to dig for it. We have to stretch ourselves and leave our comfort zones in order to get help. Sometimes the only motivation you have is that there is a possibility for change. I just got to get out of here. In closing, it is very important to set up the situations and relationships where you can create the healthy boundaries you want and have the types of conversations and communication you find ideal. That does not mean only having relationships and conversations where everyone agrees with you. To me, it means having relationships with people who don't behave in violent or abusive ways, especially during disagreements, and who don't make it seem like your feelings aren't a big deal in situations where they don't understand why you feel the way you feel. At the end of the day, you cannot control people, but that does not mean you have to suffer through their dysfunctional or unhealthy behaviors. And also, you don't owe it to anyone to let them drag you into drama and dismiss any input or boundaries you express. If you found this episode helpful in any way, please share it. And reach out and let us know what you think of the podcast. Email reachout at unstrugglingpodcast.com. And you can find our social media linked in the show notes. I appreciate you for listening. Let's unstruggle together 